And now, Lifestyles Unlimited presents the Real Estate Investor Radio Show. Over the next hour, we unfold your map to financial freedom. You'll learn how to retire through investing in single-family and multifamily real estate. You'll learn how to create cash flow and build wealth so you can have the time and money to live the lifestyle you want. Welcome to the show. My name is Al Gordon, and as always, I'm working on your financial freedom. And on today's show, we're going to talk about collectibles. Because at one point in my life, I, believe it or not, I was a child. And as a child, one of the things that I kind of got into was collecting stuff. Now, let me take you all the way back to the 1970s. That's when I spent most of my years as a child. I was born in 1964. So, you know, the first six years I lived in the 60s, but I was too young to really understand what was going on in the 60s. So when the 1970s rolled around, that's that's pretty much where my developmental years started flourishing. And that's when I started growing as, as out of childhood and into my teenage years. And I started getting exposed to different opportunities in life. And one of those opportunities that presented itself to me was the concept of collecting something. Yeah, way back in the 70s, there was a lot of discussion about, hey, if you if you collected the right thing and you held it, for over time, it would go up in value, but you had to collect the right thing. So in my infinite wisdom, now I'm going to take you all the way back to like 1975, 1976. I think I was like, I don't know, 13, 14 years of age. At that time, I had a job. I, I did. I had a job. I was one of those kids that got into the workforce before the age of 16, before it was legal to officially have a job. I actually had a job. Now, the caveat to that, you got to be 16 to have a job, was you could be a paper boy. If you were a paper boy, you could be a paper boy as early as whatever age they felt confident in you to deliver papers and to go around once a month and collect the fees from the people you deliver papers to. That's what a paper route was. So I had a paper route. And in that paper route, when I went around to collect from people, People would pay me, now get this, in cash. Yeah, in cash. They wouldn't pull out credit cards. I didn't have a little credit card reader with me. That stuff didn't exist back then. I think credit cards were around, but you had to have like uh, one of these sliding things that went, you know what I'm talking about, that, that slid over the top of the card and made an impression on some paper. Yeah, I didn't have one of those either with my paper route. And, and trust me, my customers didn't need to pay with credit cards because back in the 70s, cash was everywhere. We lived in a cash society. So I decided that I was going to collect something. Now, I didn't get into the Cabbage Patch Kid dolls partially because, well, they hadn't been invented yet. That was the thing from the 80s. I didn't get into collecting Lego sets. And part of the reason I didn't get into collecting Lego sets was even back then they were, they were too expensive for me to buy. Yeah, I didn't have the purchasing power to collect Lego sets. So I, I didn't collect them. But ironically, the one thing that came across my hands once a month when I collected from my paper route was something called cash. I collected cash from 
the people that I delivered papers to. Now, I had to take a bunch of that cash and I had to pay the guy that brought me the papers so that I could go deliver them because that's how the paper boy business work. You bought your papers from some some guy who had a car who delivered you the papers and then you folded up the papers and you put them in your little bag thing and you hung the bag thing over your handlebars and your bike and then you rode several miles delivering papers until all the papers were delivered to the people that expected the papers and then you came back home and then you know, I would get ready for school because my initial job was an AM paper job. Yeah, it was a paper route that I had to deliver in the morning. I used to get, I remember I used to get up at something like 4.35 in the morning to, to get my papers, fold them up, go deliver them, come back, have breakfast, and then go to school. That was my life. That was my life back in the 1970s. Okay, so getting back to this, this cash thing, one of the things that I noticed about all the cash I was receiving was that some of the cash looked a little bit different. What do I mean by that? Well, it's the 1970s, right? So you would expect most of your cash to be dated, you know, from the 1970s. But occasionally somebody would pay me with a bill that had an older date on it. And I, I would look at these older dates and I'd go, wow, I wonder if there's any value in these bills since they're older. And I, and I looked at some of these bills. I actually had these bills in my hand right now. I have these bills that I saved from 45 years ago in my hands. And one of them is a, a $10 Federal Reserve note dated 1950 Series A. And then I have another one that's a $10 Federal Reserve note dated 1950 Series A. B. So I thought, wow, those might be worth some money in the future. I think I'll hang on to those. And then I got some $5 bills. One, now this one was even more different because it said it was a Federal Reserve note. It didn't say, well, actually it did say Federal Reserve note. I'm, the next one that I'm going to tell you about is a little bit different. But this one was also a 1950A series note. So I had $25 that were printed in the 1950s and I held them in the 1970s. And I thought, wow, because they, they already have built-in age, maybe these things are going to be worth money in the future. So I, I took these bills and I put them in a, a book that my family has has held for many years. This this book was was published in, I don't know, it was 1934 or something like that. It's a book that my father gave to me and I retain. Um, it's I guess it's kind of like a little family heirloom, right? It's been a long time since I've experienced these bills. It's been literally 45 years, 40 Five years. Things things have to go up in value over 45 years, right? Because in my life's experience, the price of everything has gone up. Everything is more expensive today than it was when I was a child. And I'm not talking about the inflation stuff that's hitting our country. We've always had inflation in this country. Inflation has normally been minimal, but we've always seen prices go up on everything over time. It's just the way the economy works. So I thought, well, you know what? Maybe maybe these bills, maybe they've gone up in value. I mean, these the $25 that I have in 1950 series bills, may, maybe they went up in money. Maybe in value, I should say, uh, maybe maybe this United States note that has red ink on it and has those stars, you know, those stars that maybe 
give the value of the bill something a little bit more than it has. Maybe, maybe that one's gone up. But this one, this silver certificate from 1934, 1934 series C silver certificate. It's got Abe Lincoln's face on it. It says the United States of America. It's got the five in the four corners. It is definitely a United States bill. And it says this certificate is legal tender for all debts, public and private. Okay. It's money. It's absolute money. So I thought, okay, now that I found these things 45 years later, maybe it's time for me to figure out what my windfall is. What, what is my windfall on this investment? So I went to a website called Silver Recyclers, and I'm going to read to you a few things from, from their website. They did a really good job of explaining to me the value of this $5 bill. So I'm going to read to you what, what they say. The 1934 $5 silver certificates can be valuable depending on the series and condition. Okay, well, this one's got a series and it's got a condition. For this year, there were five different series issued. They include the 1934, the 1934A, the 1934B, the 1934C, which I have, and the 1934D. In addition, there are star notes and North African notes, which are even more valuable. Now, this one doesn't have the star on it like that other note that I have, and it, it's not printed in yellow, indicating that it's one of the North Africa bills, and that's an interesting story behind that. But my concern is, what is this thing really worth? So they address that for me. Silverrecyclers.com addresses it for me. It says, condition plays a large role in the value of these bills. Most circulated bills, which this is, this was a circulated bill. It's a bill that I got because it was in circulation. Will only be worth, uh-oh, here it comes, their face value of $5. What do you mean this is only worth five bucks? That that can't be right. It can't be worth just five bucks. It says, notes in very fi fine condition will sell for a premium above their face value. I, I don't think this one is considered very fine. I mean, it's worn. It's got like some kind of little stain on it or something. So I don't think it's very fine. And it also says, in addition, the series plays a large role in the value. There, uh, there are the common series notes, and then there are the more valuable star series notes. So this one must be more of the, the common. For the common notes, each series is worth about $12.50 to $15 in very fine condition. I don't think this is in very fine condition. The price is around $45 for notes in uncirculated condition with a grade of MS. 63. I have no idea how to grade a note, and I don't even know what an MS-63 means. Those of you that collect coins or collect bills, you, you know a lot more about this stuff than I do. But here's my reality. A bill that I kept in my possession from 45 years ago that I thought had the potential to go up in value. All I had to do was hold it over time. All I had to do was hold this note for a set period of time and it would go up in value. That was my strategy. That was the strategy of a 13-year-old. That was my understanding of 
how to invest in collectibles back in the day. You just pick a collectible that looks a little different than everything else. You hide it away, you protect it, and then, you know, 45 days later or 45 years later, you pull it out and you go, oh, this thing has got to be worth a bunch of money, only to find out that the investment has effectively lost money. That investment has lost money. I went to a website called uh, CPI Inflation Calculator. I, I think that's what it, what it's called. Anyhow, what this website does is you put in the value of money and then you put in the year that the money was put into service, if you will. And then you put in the year that you're trying to figure out the inflation rate for. Okay. So, so I, I just did a really terrible job of explaining to you, you have a start year and you have a end year and you're trying to figure out what the inflation rate was. So I'm, I'm pretty confident. I got this bill back in around 1976. That's, that's when I started collecting stuff. That's when I started, you know, hoarding these bills and stuff like that. So instead of spending $5 and going by and buying whatever I would buy with this thing, 45 years ago, I kept it. And here's the result. $5 in 1976 is equivalent to the purchasing power today of about $26.44. Yeah, you heard me correctly. That doesn't mean that this $5 bill is going to command much more purchasing power. No, what that means is the value of the bill has gone down. The purchasing power of this bill is about 19% of what it was 45 years ago. This was a terrible investment. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about some investments that are really good. Stick around. Got questions? Call Lifestyles Unlimited at 855-497-4335. The Real Estate Investor Radio Show continues next. What is Del Wamsley, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, up to in today's market? I'm out there right now looking and buying everything I can get my hands on for a better deal. A better deal than what I could get it for a week before. And I'll just keep buying. I did that back in 2008. I bought a property that's worth $35,000 a door. I bought it for $26,000 a door. Next month or so, I bought the same age property and I bought it for like $19,000 a door. But by buying at 26 when they were getting killed from 35 down to 26, buying at 26, let the broker know I was a buyer in a downward spiraling market. And so, from that point on, I bought three or four more. I can't remember exactly. I, mean, I think it was four more I bought from there. And the brokers were just bringing them to me. Go, look, you seem to be the only guy buying right now. Are you ready to take advantage of the wave of opportunity coming to those who know what they're doing? Join us for the free online workshop at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Creating the lifestyle you've always wanted. You're hearing Lifestyles Unlimited's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. Welcome back to the second half of the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. My name is Al Gordon, and as always, I'm working on your financial freedom. And I'm fessing up. I'm fessing up on today's show, and I'm sharing with you a flawed investment that I put into practice back in 1976. Now, during the commercial break, I was able to completely solidify the fact that I started my collecting endeavors in 1976, because as I thumbed through this book where I stored all of these, these dollar bills there, or they're not all dollar bills, they're different denominations. Uh, but I stored all of these bills 
in a book, a family heirloom, if you will. And in the book, as I was thumbing through during the break, I found six $2 bills dated 1976. So that that solidifies for me that I started my collecting efforts in 1976 because I remember when the $2 bill came out. I don't know why the $2 bill came out, but for some reason, the government felt that we needed to have a $2 bill. And as a result, the $2 bill came into circulation right around 1976. Now, in 1976, I lived in Las Vegas, Nevada. The $2 bill was considered unlucky. Very, very unlucky. So people that got $2 bills, the first thing that they would do, if they believed in the luck factor, now let's keep this in perspective. If they believed in the the luck perspective, they would get rid of their $2 bills as fast as they could because they didn't want the, the bad luck lingering around. Now for me, I had a paper route and people would pay me with these $2 bills and I saved these $2 bills. And what I'm finding out on today's show is that the majority of the bills that I have held for 45 years are not worth today what they were worth back in 1976 when I started putting this money into this book and thinking that this might have been some kind of way to become rich. This might have been some hope that I would make a lot of money off of these bills, that there would be this this massive windfall that would be created. And in the future, I would cash in on that windfall and I'd be a wealthy guy. What I'm finding out today was that what I thought at the age of 13 was inaccurate, absolutely inaccurate. Look, let's, let's cut to the chase here. A $5 bill that was acquired in 1976, no matter, no matter what date is on the bill. Now I'm referencing that $5 silver certificate that started this, this whole conversation out. That $5 bill was worth a certain amount of money in 1976. Holding that bill into the current year, 45 years later, did not increase the purchase power of that $5 bill. As a matter of fact, it imploded. What, what I'm getting at is today's prices are 5.29 times as high as the average prices were in 1976. Now, this is, all, this is all based on Bureau of Labor Statistics Consumer Price Index data. I am not making this up. I'm just telling you what the Bureau of Labor Statistics is telling me. A dollar today only buys 18.9% of what it could buy way back then. So what does that mean? It means that that investment strategy that I had at the age of 13, well, it was flawed. It was completely flawed. It wasn't going to work. And I've proven to you on today's show, it didn't work. I have pulled these bills out. I have examined the value of these bills, and the majority of them are probably worth about what they're worth at their face value, which means they're not worth as much as they used to be worth because I can't buy as much with them. I could buy a lot more with $5 in 1976 than I can buy today. So what should I buy? I mean, let's let's think this through. If If we're going to develop wealth, if we're going to increase our income streams in our household, what should we be buying? Should, should we be buying things like gold and silver? 
I mean, there are a lot, a lot of pundits on the, the television lately talking about you need to be in gold and you need to be in silver. And, and what are they telling you? They're telling you if the price of silver, now I'll just pick on silver. If the price of silver were to return to its all-time high, that would be a, an increase of X percent, right? But here's the problem. That silver is not at an all-time high. That silver is at whatever price it is at currently now, and it's going to have to overcome a lot of what, what is called overhead resistance. In other words, people that would be willing to exchange their shares of silver, not at the all-time high price, but a price between the all-time high and now, that creates resistance to the prices going up. Now, if you're, if you're invested in the stock market and you've educated yourself on the stock market, then you understand that concept of overhead resistance. It is no different with silver. And here's the other problem with silver. It's the same problem with these bills that I have. It doesn't pay me anything. This, this $5 bill that I'm holding in my hand, this silver certificate that looks really cool, and I'm glad I have it because I don't know of any other people that actually have these unless they're currency traders, in which case, if they're currency traders or currency collectors, they probably don't have these bills because this bill is worth face value and they know it's gone down in value. That's, that's not how they, they do things if they're a currency trader, right? Okay, so what about real estate? What if we bought real estate? Now, real estate is one of the most interesting investment assets you can acquire. And the reason it's so interesting is because you don't have to wait 45 years for the property to go up in value and potentially double in value. Okay, so let's talk about an investment that you can make that will do better than my investment that I made at the age of 13 back in 1976. Jennifer sent me a property. It's in the Houston market. It was built in 1967. So it's it's not quite as old as I am, but it's it's danger close. Uh, it's a property that you and I could buy for $126,000. Now, this thing has got a lot of issues to it. It's got foundation problems, roof problems. Uh, it's going to need an appliance package. Um there's there's a lot of things and, and I don't, I'm not going to list all the things that are wrong, but just know that it's going to take upwards of about sixty thousand dollars to rehab this property. But once we rehab this property, it will be worth two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars in the marketplace. Now, it's going to take us putting our own money into this project to the tune of almost twenty nine thousand dollars. You're going to have to put twenty nine thousand dollars into this project. But check this out. You're going to capture over $30,000 of equity. What am I talking about? Okay. You're going to buy this property for $126,000. You're going to drop about $60,000 into rehab. You're going to drop about another, I don't know, $8,000 into closing and holding costs. Uh, as a result of that, you're going to be into this property for right around $194,600. But I told you that the after repair value of this property, in other words, all fixed up, it's trading for $225,000. That is additional equity that you are capturing in this deal. It did not cost you a dime to capture this equity. Now think about it. You put almost $29,000 into the deal, but you're capturing over $30,000 in equity. Do you understand what I'm explaining to you right now? You just doubled your money. Just doubled your money. Now, this is called 
an unrealized capital gain. That means you have to do something to tap into the money. The, the things that you can do are either to cash out refinance, okay, which is not an appropriate approach at this point because we're doing, we will wind up doing a refinance out of our hard money loan. So we want to keep things where they're at. Uh, another way to do it is to sell the property. Now, we don't want to sell the property in a time period that's less than a year. And the reason for that is there are very unfavorable tax consequences for doing that. We want to hold the property for at least a year and a day. Once we hold it for a year and a day, then we could sell the property. Now, we would be subject to capital gains taxes. However, a lot of those capital gains taxes can be mitigated by the depreciation that comes from this property. The other thing I want to share with you is that this particular asset has a cash flow component to it. Yes, this asset will pay you money every month to the tune of about $308. Now, $308 doesn't sound like a huge amount of money, especially if it costs you, I don't know, four, five, six, seven thousand, whatever it costs you to operate your household, $308 doesn't sound like it's it's a big dent, right? Okay, we agree on that. So you just get more. You just get more of them. If you get 10 of those producing $308, now you have $3,000 coming into your household. Does that make sense? And if you need $6,000 to operate your household, then the magic number is you need 20 houses in order to stop working. You heard me correctly. 20 houses can replicate the money that you need that you're going to work for, and you can stop doing that. You can retire yourself on 20 houses. Now, there are a lot of metrics that that go into my analysis. If, if a property produces $400 per month, you would need less properties. Does that make sense? If you don't need the full $6,000 to operate your household, maybe you only need $4,000. You don't need as many houses. As a matter of fact, you would only need 10 houses producing, what, $400 a month to to get you to that $4,000 level. Yeah. So this is the neat thing about real estate. And depending on where you're starting financially, you could get going really, really fast Or you might need to take some baby steps and then build up your portfolio along the way. Everybody, and I mean everybody, starts in a very particular place, which is called their situation. They are all trying to get to a place called financial freedom. That's where I have arrived. I am in a place where I have financial freedom. What does that mean? It means I'm not reliant upon a job. I don't have a taskmaster called a boss controlling the majority of my waking hours. That person does not exist in my life. The only taskmaster I have is my beautiful wife, Tina, and she's really not that much of a taskmaster. She's not. She's she's like one of the coolest chicks you'll ever meet. Yeah, and, and you'll get a chance to meet her when you become a member of Lifestyles Unlimited. But let me get back to this property that I'm analyzing. Wouldn't it have been neat if 45 years ago I had taken those bills and put them in the book and found out today that they had doubled in value? Wouldn't that be neat? But what did I find out? I found out that they're really not worth as much as they used to be. 
that the value of those notes went down over time because the purchasing power of those notes degraded due to inflation. However, I just described to you a situation where you can double your money instantaneously by buying this particular asset, renovating it correctly, and putting it back into service as clean, functional workforce housing. You find a resident to live in it. They pay you rent on time every month. You operate the property by paying the associated expenses out of the rents that you collect. What is left over is called cash flow. That cash flow is taxable. It is taxable. I'm just telling you, it's taxable. It's taxable at whatever your ordinary tax rate might be. But here's the neat thing about real estate. One of the things that you get is something called depreciation. It doesn't mean the property is depressed. It just means you're going to write off the, the book value, if you will, of the property, but only the improvements. You can't depreciate land. You can only depreciate the improvements upon the land. They have a certain value when you buy the property. And the government says that your property will wear out in 27 and a half years. Totally fine. It allows you to take a paper loss against that income stream that you're receiving. Ironically, in this particular transaction, you're going to have cash flow of $3,696 per year. You're going to take depreciation write-offs of $6,545. That means that all of the money that you earn on this investment is essentially tax-free. The depreciation eliminates the tax liability that you would normally pay. And get this, you would have $2,850 left over of depreciation that you could use against other real estate or other sources according to IRS code. You got to do things according to the way the IRS wants you to do them. You can't just do them the way you want to do them. All right. So let's put this back into perspective. I explained to you guys today that I had a failed investment strategy that I started at the age of 13. At the age of 58, I have revisited the strategy and I've determined that it was a failed strategy. I invested in pieces of I don't know, what are they, paper? I invested in pieces of paper and I expected them to go up in value over time only to find out that those pieces of paper were only worth the face value and in reality, they went down. But real estate, real estate goes up. You need to be involved in investing in real estate. To find out how, go to lifestylesunlimited.com, get signed up for a free workshop and let's get you going. Thank you for listening to Lifestyles Unlimited's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. Ready for more of the map? Visit LifestylesUnlimited.com. Explore our videos and articles. Click on the radio tab to access past show podcasts. View the radio show schedule and listen to our best of radio shows. Want to continue the conversation? Follow Lifestyles Unlimited on Facebook today. We want to meet you as well. Sign up for a free workshop at Lifestyles lifestylesunlimited.com. Until next time, remember, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle.
The information and opinions you hear on the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show are those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.